Hey, Rockheads, it's time for NDC Oslo again, June 15th through 19th in Oslo, Norway. Richard and I will be there, of course, as well as all your favorite speakers. World-class stuff here, folks. NDC-Oslo.com. We'll see you there. .NET Rocks, episode 1146, with guest Barry Briggs. Recorded Friday, May 29th, 2015. Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And we're here for the next hour or so. Barry Briggs is here. We're going to be talking about actor models on Orleans, but it's going to be a great show. But, uh, hey, man, what's happening? Uh, you know, just the thing with the stuff. It's June now, and we've been uh, plunking away as fast as we can at getting a bunch of shows done before we're off to uh, to NDC in, in Oslo. Yeah. For, hey. I don't know, sixth or seventh year in a row, man. It's been yeah. a while. How, how's Run As Radio going? Uh, really well. You know, it's been a lot of fun. We have a great sponsor in Script Rock, who's been uh, supporting us for a while now. 430 shows once a week. I don't know. I'm talking to some other folks. Maybe we need to go to two shows a week. We're playing with it. And uh, new website, new look. Just been going on, growing Very up. Very cool. Very good. Well, lots of luck. And if you haven't checked out runasradio.com, that's Richard's IT show. Sister show to .NET Rocks has been doing all these years. We just haven't talked about it all that much. Yeah, just based my eighth anniversary. So, I mean, compared to any other podcast in .NET Rocks, it's a big going concern. Yeah. But, you know, hanging around beside DNR, it's pretty tough. <laughs> well, I got a better know framework for you today that uh, you may already know about, Mr. IT Guy. Well, play that funky music. Roll the music, yep. All right, buddy. What is it? Microsoft Script Browser. Script Browser? Okay. Wow, okay. Richard doesn't know about this. Wow, I'm impressed. So, uh, or or horrified, one or the other. It's uh, scriptbrowser.codeplex.com. So, you can search, download, and manage 9,000-plus TechNet script samples covering all Microsoft IT products from within the scripting environment. Wow. Supports offline search for users to download scripts and search them when they do not have internet access. Yeah, we actually, we did talk about this on Run As Radio. I figured you must have. Yeah. I mean, it seems like such a great tool for, you know, how do I do this? Oh, here's a script. Well, and just this, the, the community around PowerShell is so incredible. It's just massive. Right. And so yeah. just, you know, the fact you really don't have to write anything. You have no excuse for writing anything from scratch with PowerShell. Spend a couple of minutes. Somebody's written it already. It'll be okay. And the scripts are rated and all of that stuff. It's just great. So yeah. And, and this is for especially good for people who don't want to spend time writing scripts. Right. Yeah. I mean, all of that. I'm not sure how they're vetted, you know, if somebody can upload a script. I guess, no, because they're uh, TechNet scripts, they come from within Microsoft, I suppose. Yeah, there's externals as well, but it's so just, you know, everything's testable. What's really cool about PowerShell is it's very easy to run the script without making any changes to anything. Yeah. Just to see how it would behave so you can evaluate it. So there's no way to do anything particularly evil without you knowing it's going to be evil. Well, that's good to know, Richard. Awesome. So, uh, scriptbrowser.codeplex.com. Check it out, folks, and uh, happy days. Who's awesome. talking to us, my friend? Grabbed a comment off of show 1134, the one we did with Aaron Standard when we talked about shipping the V1 of ACA.net. Yep. 
you know, in honor of having discussions about the actor model, all good stuff. Sure. And this comment comes from Aiden Obley, who says, thanks so much for covering this. I've been listening to .NET Rocks for a little over a year, and in that time, I've gone from the IT help desk to scripting to development and architecture. Yeah. Wow. That's a good year. That is a good year. <laughs> I've used C, Python, C Sharp, F Sharp, Java, Golang, JavaScript, and more in the past year. I feel that your show has helped me grow significantly as a developer, even outside the .NET space, through the more widely applicable programming concepts and patterns discussed on the show. Immediately after hearing the show, I couldn't control my excitement. I realized while listening to the show that several of the big problems I have wrestled with over the past year could be solved with the actor model. I had made rough actor-like setups using cues and messages without knowing it was an existing pattern. Yeah. Now with Akka.net, all the pitfalls are taken care of for me. It's wonderful. I have already started using Akka.net framework to improve sections of my code and simplify new projects. Thanks again to Carl and Richard, and thank you, Aaron Standard, and everyone at Pettibridge for bringing this project to life. It has already improved my development in just a few days. Awesome. Great story, huh? Yeah. Well, Aiden, clearly a go-getter. Like, you had an amazing year, and they're taking on some pretty advanced patterns. So, good on you, man. And uh, why don't you do that with a .NET Rocks mug, because we'd love to send you one. Yeah. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or on any of the social media sites we're at. We post out to Google+, Plus, we post out to Facebook, and if you write to us there, we'll respond. And if we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. Send us a tweet at Carl Franklin and at Rich Campbell. We're always listening. And that brings us to our guest, Barry Briggs. As Enterprise Architect in Microsoft's Developer Evangelism Division, Barry works with customers to create innovative, epic applications. For the past five years, he was Chief Technology Officer for Microsoft's IT organization, serving one of the world's largest and most influential technology companies. In this role, he was responsible for the overall technology strategy for Microsoft IT. Previously, Barry led the company's enterprise architecture function and its master data management initiative, which created the world's largest customer data integration system. Big time. Prior to that, he served as senior architect in the business process and integration division at Microsoft, where he helped set the technology strategy for Microsoft's enterprise integration and business process product line. Barry's 30-year career in the software industry includes 11 years at Lotus and IBM, where he led the development of the company's best-selling spreadsheet program and in 1996 was named the company's first Lotus Fellow. After Lotus IBM, Barry held a number of senior executive positions, serving as CTO for a number of successful software vendors. Well-known in the industry, called one of the better-known CTOs in the world by InfoWorld in 2001, Barry speaks frequently at industry events and is the author of numerous technical articles and two novels. Wow, when do you sleep, Barry? <laughs> <laughs> Every once in a while, we get, uh, you know, a guy like you on with uh, just incredible credentials and has had a fantastic career, and, and I'm sure this is going to be a great show. So, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Awesome. So, uh, it, it sounds like you've been on the, the um, executive side of IT for a long time. What about your development skills? How much development have you, do you personally do? Right now, uh, you know, that's probably, uh, 90% of my job, actually. And, uh, you know, we, I'm delighted that, uh, there was some conversation earlier about actor frameworks because that's one of the technologies that I'm actually most excited about. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. And, and you, did you come up through, um, the functional programming paradigm in the, you know, in the seventies and eighties and, and beyond? 
Yeah, a little bit of that. Although, you know, a lot of the stuff that I did back in the uh, Jurassic period of development was, uh, <laughs> you know, we had to write, you know, we had to write BIOSes. We had to write device drivers. You know, SCSI was new. and We had to, we had to write uh, stuff like that. Porting operating systems, uh, you know, uh, and, and so on. Remember CPM and concurrent CPM and MS-DOS and early versions of Windows. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, all that good stuff. And what was programming that stuff like? I mean, did you have these discrete things that uh, resembled actors and or was it all just procedural top down, get it to work, lots of loops? Well, well, you know, it's interesting. Um, There were those two parallel, I would say, threads of development. And the the fascinating thing about actors is if you go back to the 70s, which is when the actor model was developed, um, it was really in response to a belief in the future of technology that was just dead wrong. Hmm. And that was that we have, we're going to have this plethora of little tiny microprocessors, 16, 16 bit, eight or 16 bit microprocessors. And we're not going to be able to make them all that powerful. So the only way we're going to get computing power is to have lots of them. And and so we're going to have lots and lots of processors. And what we're going to need to build powerful applications then is a programming model that's High concurrency, that's low latency, that's, ta- that thinks about application in terms of lots of, uh, single threaded, reentrant little objects that all talk to each other and don't block. And that model actually turned, the assumption behind that model turned out to be dead wrong. Well, half right, right? I mean, yeah. the, the thing is we do have this, this model, but it's not necessary because of right. low right. power well, the, the, processors. Yeah. Right. So, you know, wh- where I was going was to say that, you know, in fact, we were able to middle build processors you know, that, that were much more powerful. Yeah. And so the assumption behind it was wrong. Yep. You know, we were able to go from, you know, 8080s and 86s with tens of thousands of process, uh, of transistors to, you know, modern, uh, you know, uh, 64-bit processors with billions of transistors in them now. So that, you know, that part of it was wrong. But was, what turned out, why it turns out to be such an exciting technology now is to really achieve scale, and particularly in at cloud scale, you do need a model like this where you might have a game or you might have an application, you know, where that game is supporting millions of people online simultaneously talking to each other. Or you might have an IoT scenario, an Internet of Things scenario where you're capturing telemetry from, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of sensors all over the world and so forth. And that's where you start to say, you know, the level of scale that you need for that, you really need to take advantage of a programming model that can span multiple processors, that can span multiple cores, that can span multiple servers, and yet, and have, you know, still have real-time response and be able to, and have those objects be able to talk to one another where appropriate. And that's where the active model really turns into something that's a very powerful and relevant technology today. And if, you know, with at the risk of uh, getting tomatoes thrown at me for over oversimplifying i'm going to oversimplify <laughs> the actor model basically you have these self-contained isolated little programs that only communicate by or only can be communicated with by messages right right and so messages come in messages go back out i mean it's similar to making a function call except that yep. you're you're not necessarily in the same process you're not necessarily you're definitely not sharing data except for what's in the message and, right. uh, and, and it, it sort of have this isolated contained actors that all communicate with messages. Yeah. And, you know, it, you know, in the case of 
the Orleans uh, programming, the Orleans Actor Framework, you have a programming model that looks for all the you know the world to see like you're just doing simple IPC calls. You know, you're just doing simple method calls from one object one object instance to another. Mm. And so it, the programming model itself is seductively simple. It's easy for a programmer to grok, and it's very easy to get started with. So for an object-oriented programmer, it feels not natural. Very natural. Very is, natural. Is that something that's unique to Orleans? Um, I think that what Orleans has done is really to take it to the next level. And I think it's they've really set uh, a high bar in terms of usability. You know, for example, one of the things I think Orleans does a really good job on is, first of all, abstracting, you know, all that communications that we were talking about, and also abstracting out the whole notion of servers from the application. So, hmm. you know, while you, ha- while you will configure at deployment time the number of cores, the number of servers that your application will run, that's the last time you worry about servers. Yeah. You know, so it's just simply that now you have an ID of an object instance and you're sending messages and receiving messages to and from. So Barry, about a year ago, we had Richard Asbury from MSR on the show to talk about Microsoft Orleans and its implementation in Halo 4. Right. Which is really cool. I mean, it's an amazing scale project, great story. Like that was very powerful yeah. stuff. Yep. Mm. Where is Orleans today? Can regular developers get their hands on it and really apply this actor model using the tools? Absolutely. So Orleans today is open source. We made that decision about six months ago. It's available on github.com slash Orleans. You can download the, uh, you can download the source code to Orleans. You can download sample applications. There's tons of documentation. There are discussion boards. Uh, the Orleans developers are online all the time, very responsive. So yeah, so it is very accessible to you. And I just think in terms of, you know, I'm betting the Halo developers are a very particular group of people. Building games is, you know, kind of rocket science. I'm thinking in terms of how Orleans is applicable and just, you know, I want to build a, a, a more pedestrian app. I don't want to de- denigrate anybody's large scale application, but what, well, let's what go, does it want to look go like? To, so let's go to the opposite end of the spectrum. Okay. And let's, and let's talk about an application which could not be more diametrically opposed to halo in terms of in terms of its character in terms of its maybe even its coolness let's talk about spreadsheets for a second love it love it and, and you were a lotus guy back in the yeah, day yeah and so <laughs> you know a lot of a lot of people say barry you're just a one trick pony but, you know, I, was, <laughs> I was talking a couple of years ago to one of the orleans developers and frankly i wasn't even aware of the technology at the time and what he told me was, well, you can put all these tiny little objects up in the cloud. They can all talk to each other. You can form a directed graph of these objects where one graph depend or one instance of an object depends on another instance of an object. And you can set up this whole dependency chain, blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking to myself, being the, you know, the one trick pony pr- that I am, that sounds like a spreadsheet to me because at its core, <laughs> <laughs> At its core, a spreadsheet is nothing more than a directed acyclic graph. Dag. So every cell is an actor? And so I said, I said, gosh, what would that take? And one thing led to another. And the next thing I knew, I was creating a calculation engine up in the cloud. And I'm careful to say calculation engine, and I'll explain why I mean by that in a second. But yes, every cell in this model is an instance of an actor. There is a cell actor. Wow. And uh, that cell actor incorporates a parsing 
component, an evaluation component, and a dependency component where it tracks uh, what it depends on and who depends on it and all that kind of stuff. And so why is that interesting? And it's interesting because, A, it's, it's as you can see, it's completely different in character and in every other way from a gaming application. And secondly, and more interestingly in some ways, this is, a, this is an example of how you can now take a somewhat traditional notion and put it in the cloud and get essentially, you know, I won't say infinite, but almost infinite scale. And hmm. so I said, uh, I said to myself, Barry, that's what I said to myself. I said, how could I, how could I demonstrate this? And so I um, downloaded all of the world's weather and uh, I went to, went to the <laughs> NOAA website. Went to the NOAA website, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, uh -huh. and they have these things called the Global Summaries of the Day, which are uh, essentially uh, anywhere from 10 to 50K of data and essentially annual observations from about 13,000 reporting stations around the world for about the last 120 years or so. Wow. Actually, not quite that much. Not quite that much. Maybe the last century or so. I said, could I load all that data into, into cloud sheet, as I call it? And it <laughs> turns out, of course, yes, um, because I can take advantage of simply by changing a configuration number in, uh, in, in the uh, Azure deployment. Uh, I can just add more cores and boom, with, uh, I can get, uh, uh, in this case, 2.3 billion data points into a single spreadsheet. Wow. Good Lord. Did, I'm sorry, yeah. did you say billion, not million? Yeah. Billion? With a B. With a B. Thousand millions? Yes, with a B. That's a lot. <laughs> I'd hate to see the size of that scroll bar thumb. <laughs> that's, that's pretty well, small. Actually, actually, that's an interesting, that's an interesting point because, um, as it turns out, loading 2.3 billion cells does make the spreadsheet a little bit unmanageable just from a UI perspective. Yeah. So, so I, so I changed the model to say each cell is actually representing one of those files. So I added a new Excel-like function called equals data, and the parameter is a file, or in this case, an Azure blob. And then I load in that, load in that, essentially that table into a single cell. Then that cell actually becomes queryable. Hmm. I can say, you know, what is the temperature of, you know, a reporting station in Greenland on January 6th, 1943, and that becomes equals select a1, you know, column three as the key and column two as the, as the, as the, as the, uh, as the desired, uh, uh, return value. Mm. And so now I, now I've really created effectively, um, and again, I'm not, I don't want to overstate it as a, as a proof of concept, but it created effectively what we used to talk about in the eighties, um, as this notion of a spread base. And <laughs> it's not, it's, you know, it's not so much about Cloud Sheet itself, but it's really about rehosting a traditional m application in the cloud and suddenly having all this capability uh, yeah. that you can take advantage of and using the actor model to make it make the development go quickly. What is uh, you, you said that the um, Orleans project here has some yeah, has an interface for developers that more resembles object oriented programming. Yeah, is it that? Much different, you know, say for a traditional, uh, actor model system like Akka or Akka.net. Is it that much different that developers are having a hard time wrapping their heads around it? For in Orleans, you, you simply, you know, essentially add a V6 to your Visual Studio, 
uh, and you've got the uh, Orleans templates built in. Mm -hmm. And then you do file new project, and there are you, you, there are templates for Orleans uh, projects. What you see in the basic template is uh, an, a couple of using statements and a couple of a couple of standard method calls, built-in method calls, and then that's it. Hmm. Everything else is your business logic. And the two, the two, the two mandatory calls that are in there are one to activate and one to deactivate because you can save state to a persistent store and then restore it on rehydration. Mm -hmm. Every, and that's a very simple thing. It's actually just a few lines of code. Everything after that is your business logic. So, so is, where is, where does the actor circle get drawn around an item in a project is it a project is every project an actor or is uh within a project do we have multiple actors or both you can have so uh, and think of an actor as a type okay and you can have multiple actors within a solution so for example so in your classes class, yeah yeah exactly and so with it so within cloud sheet for example there's a cell type and then I keep track of the cells in the cell directory, and then I have caches of uh, caches of the of their display values in another in another set of uh, in another set of actors, and so mm. on. Mm. And uh, actors can be stateful or stateless. So there's a stateless one for doing uh, file loads from blob storage, and and so on. And so these actors can also integrate with other actors and other projects that are anywhere yep. in the world, right? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, so is, as long as they're included in your application and in your Azure subscription. So if if you've developed some actors in, I don't know, Amazon, AWS, and I've got some running in Azure, how do the, how do the two see each other? Is it with a standard URL? Yeah, this, in this case, they, yeah, so you want, they'll be ring-fenced uh, in, inside your Azure subscription. But then you could then you could talk to you know any resource outside of your Azure subscription in the same way that you know you talk to any resource uh, from any Azure application in any other in any other cloud through a URL. Okay, and is that, that URL? Makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. sure. And is yeah, that okay. URL sort of embedded in your app in a config file somewhere? Um, you know, I'm just trying to get a sense of the architecture of an ACA, uh, you know, of an actor model project. Yeah, like I say, I think it's you know it's from from an Orleans from an Orleans standpoint, you want to think of it as r relatively self-contained, and then it can call out and be called from as uh, more or less in the same way that uh, that you know for, as a REST call from essentially any uh, you know in the same way that any other application would talk to it. So, for example, if you have as I do uh, in my spreadsheet application a you know, a thin client UI, basically JavaScript application that uh, displays rows and columns, which is only one way to, to talk to the to the to the to the model. I can get to that in a second. Um, it's basically a set of uh, REST APIs and a web API that uh, can can uh, then invoke the actors which are running as uh, inside of a worker role in uh, in Azure. So it seems it seems to me that with Orleans anyway, um, you're setting it up just so there's. Doesn't sound like there's a whole lot of difference architecturally and technologically between this and just say you know a service or, or a web yeah. API or something. Yeah. But so where does where's the secret sauce that makes it work? Is it in how you call things? Is right. it in the rules and constraints of the yeah, actor? That's exactly. And I think you know. So what's sitting between the web API and your actor instances is the actor framework. 
you know, in, in this case, Orleans. And what that does is it makes the addressing and the, in the, and the inter-actor communication very straightforward. So, for example, when I want to instantiate a new cell or in Halo, if they want to create a new user, mm. it's the uh, web API in this case will simply say, I, I will simply ask for a reference to a particular grain and then invoke it. It's and that's and what's happening is behind the scenes is that the actor framework will then say, okay, is this is this grain instance or this actor instance? I use the word grain because uh, the that's Orlean talk Orlean's talk for for an actor. Um, is this actor instance already instantiated? Got if it. not, I'll instantiate it and then I'll provide you a route from that from that call to the actual instance of the actor. So it's the actor management that is right. really important, especially when you have and, lots and lots of them. That's right. And yeah. that's right. So if you have, for example, millions and millions of actor instances scattered over hundreds and hundreds of cores, you know, you don't have to worry about where those are, you know, how to get to them, what the most efficient route is, and all that kind of stuff. The actor framework takes care of all that for you. Got it. And are there constraints in the messages that you pass uh, as well? Is, is there well-known formats and patterns for those? It's, uh, it's you know, for... For the programmer, it's just simply a dot, any .NET call will work. Okay. And any dot, any any serializable data structure or class rather uh, will can be can be passed from one application to the other, and that's like almost everything. But it's Certainly one argument, the, right? Yeah. Just one argument. You can't have multiple arguments. That oh, you can have lots. You can have oh, lots can. of arguments. All right. Yeah, you can have lots of arguments. Lots of arguments, and uh, mm-hmm. and they can be ne- they can be nested so classes can contain other classes and I so got on. You. Um, hmm. Yeah, and so what are the best practices around the architecture of uh, an actor model setup? Yeah, so the best practice. So it's think about a think about an actor as a small piece of code that is single threaded. And does not block and is relatively small and, as you said, self-contained mm. and isolated. So there's a few things you don't want to do, which is lock or block mm-hmm. inside that. It's, it's intended to be as thoroughly concurrent as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, the, in our case, the uh, actor framework is very frugal with threads. So um, if you block on a thread, it's possible to cause a deadlock. Uh, if you just follow, if you just follow the, patterns that are used in the examples, you'll have no trouble. And maintaining state is no problem because it's just of single purpose. Yeah, I'm, gl- I'm really glad you asked that, asked that question because one of the great strengths of the Orleans model is it breaks the old notion that we used to have of presentation front, you know, presentation tier, stateless middle tier, and persistent back end. Yeah. Now we can have a stateful middle tier, and that's a very powerful thing. So we can actually build this object. It looks like any other .NET object. It keeps state, and you can, if you want, you can optionally have the state persisted over, you know, over crashes and deactivations and so forth by writing to uh, a storage provider. You know, it could be Azure Blob, Stables, MongoDB, anything you like of your choice. Um, But the point is, is now you're writing just a, you know, a traditional .NET object. Which is maintaining state on the server, and because we can run this in the cloud, we have the scale, you know, to support this that we didn't have back in the old days when we had to write stateless middle tiers because we simply didn't have the memory capabilities and the scale uh, that we have today. Yeah, well, we were—they didn't scale, right? As soon as you start right. stating them, they had problems. Yeah, that's right. 
And then they just roll over, and your pager would go off. And <laughs> your pager, I love it. Nice. That's that? exactly Remember what those? would happen. That's exactly what would happen. <laughs> hey, hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time to announce the next version of Orleans. It's called New Orleans. Uh. <laughs> it has all the goodness of the actor model, but the actors only receive messages as strings of beads. <laughs> and only respond by exposing their private members. Oh, no. No. It's so wrong. Some, there's got to be vomit in the streets here somewhere, but okay. Uh, and, you get, and you get hurricanes uh, to boot. That's right. Don't call the hurricane class too either. often. You'll, you'll dump your stack. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's actually time to give away a Component One Studio Enterprise to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, let me tell you about Component One Active Reports. Design, publish, view, print, and export operational reports, such as invoices, expense reports, tax and government forms, as well as strategic and analytical reports, such as sales performance, budgeting, and revenue analysis. Active Reports gives you the operation and flexibility you need to turn your data into informative, pixel-perfect reports across the enterprise. Cool, dude. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Matthias Kindborg. Congratulations, Matthias. Golf yeah. clap for you, sir. Yeah, found the clappers. And nice. uh, component one is Grape City. And before that, they were Data Dynamics. And they've been a sponsor of .NET Rocks. They were their, our very first sponsor. So they're good friends of ours. And Long time. Active Reports is still going strong. Uh, but Matthias just won the Component One Studio Enterprise, which is a big pile of awesome from Component One. And if you don't know what we're talking about now, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you got to sign up to win. And we like to ask our guests, Barry, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? He's going to say a trip well, to New Orleans. No, he's not. <laughs> Actually, a trip to New Orleans sounds pretty, sounds pretty good. Um, you know, so I'll tell you, uh, I have a, an unusual hobby, which is I like to play the pipe organ in my spare time. And so, it's this really, really cool company uh, uh, called Hauptwerk. Uh, and they make this uh, 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 essentially virtual pipe organ where they go, they, they go off, people go off and record the tones from all these great old organs wow. uh, all over Europe. It's amazing, actually, all over Europe. These, you know, 500 year old uh, organs were built, you know, when John, Johann Sebastian Bach was yeah, still alive. In those stone cathedrals that are yeah, all over exactly, Europe. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so they record all that. And then essentially you can load that into uh, – it's an application uh, that runs with a MIDI, any MIDI keyboard and you can play. You know, in your, in your own home, you can be playing this cathedral organ, Notre Dame Cathedral or, you know, anything that uh, – you know, some organ that uh, Bach played and oh. get that same kind of thunderous tone. And so if I had $5,000, I'd be, build a real – instrument which i could then connect to uh you know a great big pc with a lot of memory and 10 subwoofers intense subwoofers and, <laughs> intense subwoofers and an, you know great big old amplifier and uh take that neighbors 
Yeah. <laughs> now, I've been in a couple of those cathedrals when that their big pipe orbs are playing, and it rattles your soul. Like, it's oh, a, yeah. It's yeah. profound. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you something. Yeah. When I was 12, I sang in the Westerly Chorus in Westerly, Rhode Island. We went on a trip to England and Scotland, and it was a choir tour of all the cathedrals. And we sang in Westminster Abbey. We sang in St. Wow. Paul's. We went to uh, Norwich, to Ipswich. And uh, all over. And, and uh, man, uh, that was the first time I had heard anything like that. It rattles the whole place. You can have that in your home now with the right, uh, with the, with the right setup. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. As you say, the only problem is it scares the hell out of the dog. But <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you pa- stop playing Phantom of the Opera, they'll yeah, stop just, calling the police. Right. He looks at me and he says, oh, not again. <laughs> <laughs> so are you an aficionado of that period of music as well? I am. Yeah. I am. Yeah. Wow. And that's great. And, and I bet, you know, you, you're probably of the age where you can play pretty well. Uh, well, that's a matter of some debate in our home. Well, you got to be to play that kind of music. I mean, you can't just, you know, <laughs> row, row, row your boat your way around it. My 18-year-old son would, uh, would have a different opinion. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We got to talk about the actor model some more because I'm not over the whole spreadsheet idea here. This idea of each of these cells being an, uh, being an instance of an actor because it's, it's completely true, right? Like, yeah. They might have some data, they might do computation or a combination of all of the above. Like the, each shell could be as complicated as you want it to be. Yeah. And you can also, you know, once you recognize that you're in a highly distributed environment where you might have dozens or hundreds of cores, the weather uh, example that I talked about earlier had uh, used 140, I think, 144 cores to load all that data. Um, but you now can take advantage of the parallelism. And so now you can start to really exploit the power of the task, PL, uh, task programming library, the TPL. And so, for example, in loading data, instead of loading a file, you know, one cell at a time or one, li- one line of, of the file at a time, creating a cell, getting the next one, and so forth, you can batch up the creation as a set of tasks and do a task win all. Um, and basically fan out the creation of the tasks in the, in the, in the file load process or when retrieving values from, uh, from cells, for example, in equals some A1 to Z a million or something like that, um, you can actually fan out the request for those values uh, and as opposed to requesting them sequentially like you would normally have to in a desktop application. So you get a lot of interesting um, performance uh, opportunities when you think about the the dis- distributed nature of uh, an actor framework and an a- of an actor application. Do you think that the rise in popularity of the actor model coincides with the rise in popularity of the cloud? I mean, it seems like you need you, this isn't something that you would do on yeah. a 16-bit PC with a me- with a meg of RAM, you know. Yeah, I think that because you now have access to all of these cores and an enormous amount of shared nothing memory that you know the actor model lends itself very well to that uh new new environment that we have in the cloud right i mean if you had said to ibm lotus hey <laughs> you know let's spin up an actor for every cell of a spreadsheet in lotus 123 that's running on a you know 64k ibm pc 
you know, that probably wouldn't have gone over so well. Right. And, you know, we even experimented with that in the early days of object program, object oriented programming, you know, an object for every cell and so forth. And, you know, frankly, you know, given the processor speed and given the limitations in memory and so forth, it really just didn't make sense. Yeah. It sure is interesting. I mean, uh, you, we've seen, you know, we talked about Arlene's a long time ago, but the rise of Akka and Akka.net in, in popularity right. is, it's taking over. I mean, people yeah. are really, really embracing this thing. I think it's a great model. And I, and again, you know, it it's an, a model that I found seductive because it's easy to get something running pretty quickly. You know, you don't, there's not a lot of infrastructure you have to worry about. Mm. You really get to focus on your business logic, your programming logic, your algorithms right out of the gate. And then over time, you suddenly realize that you've built a very sophisticated application and you've been focusing principally on what that application actually does instead of the environment around it. Yeah, less plumbing in your life. Yeah, the plumbing's all there, but... You don't own it. You don't own it, mm. right. That's the important right. part. It, it's all abstracted away from you, and, and that's a very powerful thing for an application developer. And I'm I'm looking at the open source project that is Orleans. I mean, you've got a lot of contributors, too. Are, are yeah. these all external? I mean, there's, there's obviously a bunch of Microsoft folks involved. You know, we've gotten a lot of interest uh, in in Orleans from, you know, a wide swath of uh, developers um, in a wide, in a, in a wide variety of, of uh, customer environments. In fact, a lot that we didn't expect. You know, I've talked to large financial services houses who have a, there's one that, that is uh, either live or going live shortly with an Orleans based application. Another one that's uh, in the travel industry, it's doing, it's either live or going live shortly with an Orleans based application. So there's lots of interest in this. And I think that it's only going to grow. Uh, as time goes by because of uh, all the things that we've said. Yeah, you've got a host of like a half a dozen third-party contributors now, obviously working on specific problems of their own involved around Arlene's. That's, to me, this is, this did not set out to be an open source project, but it's clearly a healthy open source project. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you see people, you know, what's what's great about open source and about an open source project like this is, uh, you know, the sorts of things that people think of are things we never would have thought of. So, you know, it just enriches the whole environment. Yeah, absolutely. Just yeah. Know, kick, kicks it up a notch. You can take it to the right. place. And that was my concern from the outset with Orleans was it came from such a specific space from that. Let's solve this huge problem that is Halo 4 space. How do you get it to somewhere where it makes it's got sort of more well-rounded solution? Well, I think that to their credit, the people who built the original versions of Orleans weren't focused specifically on Halo itself as the, as, uh, as, uh, as the application they were going to support. They were focused on building a general purpose actor programming environment. Right. And, and, uh, and Orleans, ha- I'm sorry, Halo happened to be their first, you know, large scale customer. And, you know, it was a great application for them for a variety of reasons, you know, having actors in the cloud that effectively were virtual representations of the players and so on was a great use of, of uh, the actor model. And the fascinating thing about games, incidentally, is, you know, having come from myself, a traditional software uh, industry perspective, you know, when we ship Lotus 1, 2, 3, or we ship some other project products, you would see the adoption rate, you know, start, start at a certain level. And over time, you'd have more and more users, and you'd see, the, see this curve going up. With games, it's just the opposite. Your heaviest traffic day is going to be the fir- within the first week. Right. 
And so you've got to be reliable uh, in from that the, first, From the get-go. From the get-go. And, and Orleans was able to provide that for the Halo team. So it's battle-tested. No pun intended on Halo. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's it's a, it's a it's a solid set of frameworks. What do you think is the union between uh, the actor model and microservices as a um, buzzword? So that's a it's a great question, and here's here's where that's going. I think that you know if you've heard about uh, Service Fabric, which is our next generation um, programming environment for Azure, we talked a lot about that at Build, um, and it is among other things uh, supports a, a microservices model. Um, one of the one of the one of the programming models that it does support is going to be an actor model, which very much analogous to what's in what's in Orleans today. So they so, are related. I mean, it's the sort of mindset of the single yeah. single purpose uh, microservices are very much like single purpose actors. Yeah, I can't That's really right. think of any difference except for the uh, the actor framework, which is, which is why which is why it fits into that into service fabric so elegantly and so cleanly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Is there is there a, such a thing as a service framework, a microservice framework that does what the actor model does, or is it just a way of thinking about? What is this piece of code, and and how is it used? Uh, well, I think the answer to that is both. Um, the uh, if we think about the actor model framework in particular, though, it's it, there are a lot of things that we can do by making enhancements to Azure itself to make actors even more powerful, quicker to deploy, and so on. And a lot you'll see a lot of that coming from us in Service Fabric, uh, but at its core. The programming model, you know, the simple, the simple, easy to use, fast to get started programming model stays ident- almost identical. Yeah, and to me, for it seems like almost like App Fabric is going to be that framework for microservices. Right. You know, That's maybe right. this is it. Maybe this is it. In a in a microservice, you have an instance, and that instance services everybody. In the actor model, you have an an instance for every use. You know, for every user. Yeah. Essentially, or every user or every device. Yeah, I think that's a good way to think about it. Every user, every device. You know, the uh, the actor model. We didn't talk too much about IoT, but one of the mm-hmm. one of the great applications of an actor model is to represent virtually the state of a given device at any given time. Right. And for yeah. certain types of devices and for certain types of uh, IoT applications, that's a great model. Yeah, it really does take the whole state problem that the web yeah. inherently has off the table, doesn't it? Yeah, that's right. And, and not only state, but also you can have essentially an individual instance of the of the logic as appropriate for that particular device or yeah. that particular user or that particular gamer. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, no, I really like the way this thing, and it's, but it's, you know, it's counter to my instincts. Me too. As a yeah. guy who scaled a lot of websites... You know, yeah. I was always very careful to manage the state separately and so forth. Now, thinking, are my scars going to hold me back here? Can I really deal with? Yeah, right. the actor's going to carry its own state around, right? Mm. Right, and I think, and I, you know, Carl, I think, I think you were the one that said this. I think you're you're right. You know, when you think about, you know, the distinction of a microservice being, you know, a service that supports, you know, X number of users at scale versus the actor model, which is, uh, which is essentially an object per whatever virtual thing you're trying to represent. Yeah. That's a, that's a good way of thinking about it. Yep. 
Yeah, it's it's powerful. Very yeah. cool. I think we ought to just leave it there because my brain needs to absorb everything. If we talk, <laughs> if we talk about New Orleans anymore, I'm going to just lose it. Uh, <laughs> what did, are there? Where does this not make sense? Like, why wouldn't we build every app this way now? Um, that so it's conceivable that you would want to look at things like a tra- very traditional, heavily transacted, uh, high, you know. You know, application like an ERP application that right. might not be the first thing that you would move to an actor model. You know, because there you want to have very close uh, awareness of what's going on. You want to have you don't want to have consistent eventual consistency. You want to have real near real time consistency. Yeah, you know, and so on and so. Where people get hung up on that, you know, the myth of of immediate consistency. This is all a myth. Yeah, you know everything is eventually consistent. It's just a question of how long, how ev- how, yeah, and, how how eventual, yeah, right. exactly. and, and which That's how it. you cope with failure. You know, yeah. the people we want up to the moment inventory, really, 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 because you don't actually stare at all the stuff in the warehouse all the time. Right. That's why we have a back order system because sometimes you sell stuff you don't have. Yeah. Right. And that's a, you know what that is? That's dealing with eventual consistency. That's right. The fact that the sales guy thought he still had stuff in stock that he didn't have because he was out of date. He sold it anyway. The back order system cleans up the mess. Yeah. There's no voodoo there. Like this is nothing weird. And and the actor model that would apply just fine. What this does allow is it doesn't matter if you have 10 salespeople or a hundred salespeople or 10,000 salespeople. It's still going to work. Right, right. Yeah, eventually, I, I agree with you. I think that the actor model can support a wide variety of scenarios. You know, I think it's going to take us some time to kind of wrap, all of us wrap our heads around the notion of eventual consistency, transactional consistency, and, you know, what it all means in terms of, you know, this new this new paradigm for programming. Yeah, it, it, it really is. You know, as long as we talk about games... Lots of folks are just going to go. Ah, oh, well, then it doesn't apply yeah. to me. I'm not making games. Yeah. Like, I we've got to. I've got to get more real, plain old fashioned apps of. Here's why this was better. Yeah. Well, here's uh, you know, talk about plain old fashioned apps. Uh, I've got a spreadsheet for you. <laughs> oh, we have a new acronym: Path Pafa. Plain old fashioned apps. <laughs> just give give me the app that everybody can relate to. That's right. And, it, and not even just the scaling thing. Like, maybe we're too hung up on talking about the scaling side of this. This seems like very maintainable code. Oh, yeah. Right, right. Because you right. kept it so granular. It's the yeah. code you've always wanted to write but couldn't for, you know, architectural constraints. That's right. That's right. It's very maintainable. It's very uh, very easy to read code. Yeah. Because uh, so, you're... You're essentially only focusing on what it is you're actually trying to do rather than all the typical architectural gorp that often sits in these kinds of applications. All of that overhead. The, the, this is really you know, an anti-plumbing approach. The plumbing right. is over there. Just work yeah. on your main stuff. Right, right, right. Okay. What about debugging? Like what happens when stuff goes wrong? How, how, do, you, how do you figure out where the problems lie? Yeah, so debugging actually, is, debugging is a very pleasant experience. It's uh, there are a number of ways you can run it in Proc and inside of Visual Studio. You can run it obviously in the Azure emulator on your local machine, and uh, and loading it up in uh, in Azure, of course. Uh, you know, there's obviously the the uh, you know poor man's debugging through Trace, but also you can do remote debugging through through the Azure, typical Azure facilities. I've only ever had to use that once. Um, right. And and you know typically the the uh, you know the 
facilities that I get through the through the through the uh, emulator on in Visual Studio work just fine. And you can single step and do all the kind of things that you need to do. Yeah, just because it's an actor doesn't mean you can't walk through its code. Do your do your traditional um, instrumentation libraries and tools work? I'm, I imagine that, they would. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All that stuff works. Yeah. No voodoo. No I, voodoo. I, I don't. It's uh, .NET. Is there anything we missed? Is there anything that uh, yeah, is so obvious? I would just I just say one other thing. You know, we've talked about the spreadsheet um, a lot, and one of the things that is is different, say, than desktop uh, Excel or any other, is that now with the with the engine running in the cloud, you've decoupled the UI from the from the from the recalculation engine, and that opens up some interesting possibilities. So you can have instead of a traditional grid UI, you can have any kind of UI, and all it has to talk to, to all it has to know is how to talk in the language of formulas and cells and values. And right. so, uh, for, so for example, you could have an order form, and I've actually got this as one of my demos. And all it does is send up, uh, uh, you know, add new line, and you know, in this cell goes this value, in this cell goes the, you know, the number sold, the 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 price, the tax, and the and and the total, uh, the total uh, invoice amount. And you know, it becomes, you know, programming this protocol becomes just a matter of programming the most common scripting language in the world, which is Excel. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. And, great stuff. And very clean code. And so you have this, you know, very clean API layer, and you can do all kinds of stuff with that. All right, Barry. It's been a great hour. It's flown by, and I'm all I'm just amazed. This is great. Right? Any more of this? Yeah, we do. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> well, I enjoyed it. All right. Thanks again, and thank you for listening. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a